0: Welcome to Farm to Fork, a program dedicated to exploring how food and drink are produced, delivered, and served throughout the Pioneer Valley. In every episode, we speak with some of the hot, uh, the brightest lights in the Valley's culinary world, from gleaners, gatherers, hunters, fishermen, farmers, packagers, to brewers and restaurateurs, and everyone in between. My name is Jessica, co-host Sue Timberlake and show producer Caroline Rutterman joined me in the studio. Today we'll be talking with Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm in Florence, Massachusetts. It's good to have you with us, Nate. Good to be here. So what was your first uh, farming-related experience and where did that happen?
1: Um, so my first farming experience was during college. I was a junior in college in 2002 um, I worked at a farm called Wheatland Vegetable Farm uh, down in Northern Virginia that, um, that served 16 farmers markets in the DC area. So I was one of about 16 crew members, all college student, all college aid students living in a barn um, having, you know, the idyllic farming experience there. Um, so I was able to be there for two seasons, and yeah, that was my first. I still think about it often.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds yeah. like a great opportunity. Probably yeah. had mentors there, and yeah. So uh,
1: Chip, Chip Plank and uh, Chip and Susan Plank uh, were the farmers there. Um, they had been kind of the, you know, the back to the landers um, from the seventies. Uh, he was a college professor and kind of moved moved on towards starting a farm Um, and they yeah they were both you know great managers in terms of like you know training people how to work Um, but also were willing to take the time to share their business and share their you know the ways that they think about how they make decisions as a business owner Um, and yeah, it was really, they've always been an inspiration to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Now Crimson and Clover Farm is located on the Bean Farm parcel of the Northampton Community Farm. Um, do you mm-hmm. know the details about the history? I'm always curious about histories of farms.
1: A little bit. I know the, I know. like the last hundred years, I think I have a pretty good sense of um, the, you know, it's funny, have been here for 12 you know farming here for 12 years now and uh when i tell people where i farm like a lot of people know crimson and clover farm and they know where we are but then when i meet um kind of old timer folks uh that maybe haven't heard of crimson and clover they certainly know where the bean farm is um which is always uh, a great feeling um the bean family um, I think they moved onto the land in the early 1900s and like 1910. They were kind of a classic mixed, you know, small family operation. They did, uh, over the course of their time with the land, they grew hay. They raised um, uh, piglets. They did had a big piglet operation, so they, uh, one of the barns was – A sow, um, a sow house, and then the piglets had a run on the um, on the west side of the farm. Um, And they did apples, they had like a six acre apple orchard. Um, From what I've been told, they were, you know, certainly they weren't organic at that time, uh, but they were kind of, they were well trained in the spraying methods of the time. Um, And they would actually go, they had a company, Uh, where they would actually go spray orchards around in the valley. So they were very very much integrated in the whole um, uh, production of the whole Pioneer Valley. Um, They also had chickens, they had eggs. You know, we currently have a farm store here uh, right on Spring Street. Um, And um, the same barn that we use as our farm store was the one that the Bean family used to sell Eggs and apples uh, to folks going by. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a few members of the Bean family uh, that live up and down the road. So there's Cordy Bean who I believe is in his like that, certainly late 80s, if not early 90s. Um, and then Larry Larry Bean is um, uh, in his 60s, mid 60s. Um, and I I get a lot of happiness when they come by the farm and kind of share those old stories and kind of look around the buildings. Um, the home where I live uh, used to be a Bean family home. It, it, the home I live on actually in actually predates the Bean family. It's an 1860 house, but the Bean family was the original Bean home, um, which has since been renovated and changed a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, and so when I drive up and down the street, There's like five homes that used to be being family homes, and they'll still, when they come by, they'll point them out, and um, we'll chat about who used to live there, whose dad was, you know, who was doing what. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So I saw on your uh, website, Nate, that you grow vegetables, fruits, uh, and flowers for a CSA program. So for those Mm -hmm. listeners who aren't familiar with CSAs, what is a CSA program, and what's the process for signing up?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, CSA stands for community supported agriculture. Um, people also sometimes call it a farm share. Um, and CSA is like a is a different model of uh, relationship between producer and consumer. Um, it is a way to support farms um, and for farms to support the community it's a it's a two-way street so I think the um, the nuts and bolts of it is uh, CSA members uh, sign up for a farm share uh, before the season begins um, uh, and they pay you know a sum uh, and then over the course of the season our season is 20 our our main season is 20 weeks it goes from June through late October. Um, And for those 20 weeks, we, you know, offer the produce of the farm and, you know, we kind of take the CSA members are able to kind of take a little bit of the risk of the farming of farming off of our hands for us. Um, So traditionally farming was uh, the traditional model of farming is based on a lot around debt. Uh, so farms would go to banks and they would get loans to be able to buy seed and buy fertilizer and uh, be able to pay their employees and then um, hope that they have a good growing season and grow the crops and then go to a farmer's market or sell wholesale uh, and try to make the money back and pay the bank back by the end of the year. Um, so CSA is a way to kind of uh spread that risk out so it's not all on the farmer um so there have been you know we try to share the the bounty you know when we have really great years for any of the crops we try to share that with the csa members um and similarly when we have down years which you know sometimes happens then we try to uh that allows us not to take on all that risk you know when we have a severe severely wet season like last year or severely dry season like five years ago then um um yeah we're we don't we're able to stay in business (laughs) Mm -hmm, exactly Um, yeah
0: cool and so what are the well you just mentioned some of the pros and cons um of offering a csa option but are there I guess you were talking about the, the pros there. Uh, are there any yeah, the da- pros, the downsides? Yeah, well,
1: uh, mm. um, I think that from the consumer perspective, from the, like, from the, oh. I think that um, we try really hard on our farm to offer as much choice as possible. So when folks come to the farm, like, we're usually harvesting, you know, 10 or 12 items and, um, and then folks get to pick seven or nine, depending on their share size. They get different numbers of items, and and they can take any mix of set. For us, it's like a small share gets seven items, and they can take any mix of seven items that they want. Um, so if they wanted all lettuce that week, they could take you know seven items of lettuce. Um, the um, The downside of it is like we grow what we grow you know we have we don't have we don't have tomatoes in june generally um although i guess some farms in this valley have tomatoes in june now um but we don't have uh yeah we don't have everything that you might have if you go to the grocery store so if you go to the grocery store you can find peppers and tomatoes and um all the different you know warm season crops you can find all year long so if those are the things that you need to eat, you know, then a CSA, the CSA is really, I think, uh, about the diversity of what we can grow. And I think it's sometimes I think, I think of it as like kind of a food adventure for folks who sign up and they kind of, you know, they're along for the ride with us to see what's available and, uh, they're open to experimentation and learning new vegetables to cook with and, um, and yeah so and that said so we do try to give the, as much variety as possible but there is a certain limit to the amount of variety you can offer growing in Massachusetts mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. yes yeah, so I was um, I was curious you know how you chose the specific vegetables fruits and flowers to grow
1: mm-hmm. um, so Originally, you know, you just kind of pick things that you, that you like, you know, that, that you like to grow and like to eat and, um, having before being here, I'd worked on farms for eight or 10 years, nine years. And, um, I, you know, I learned a lot in that time. I learned about vegetables and how to cook them and, um, how to enjoy them and how to grow them, of course, um, so um in starting a farm i'm kind of picking you know just kind of plug in those things those same things that i've become familiar with but over the course of 12 years of being in business you respond to what csa members you know the feedback that they give um so we um, we have a yearly see, uh, survey that uh, CSA members fill out, and they tell us things that they want more of or less of, and we take that to heart and try to, you know, try to respond to them. So, um, when I'm when I'm looking through seed catalogs in the in the winter, um, I'm certainly um, there's there's several things that I think about. Uh, first is flavor. Uh, First, you know, is like, how does it, um, how does it taste? I don't try, I try not to grow things that, um, you know, you can kind of read between the lines in a seed catalog and be like, oh, this probably doesn't taste very good. And then the second thing is uh, productivity, you know, is disease resistance and productivity, which, and, and those are sometimes the code words that you need to kind of balance. You know, you want things that are both flavorful, and productive and um and aren't gonna um get eaten by all the bugs or um get you know get some foliar disease that other crops won't Mm -hmm, mm yeah
0: um so how would you describe your your farming practices
1: um you know we are not certified organic but we use all organic practices so um we buy we buy it when possible we buy organic seeds um, we use organic fertilizer, which is uh, dehydrated chicken manure chicken litter um, and then we um, yeah we barely spray I mean even we, if we do spray anything we use organic sprays, but we really don't spray very much at all. Mm-hmm um yeah so we practice crop rotation we try to grow different things in different spots different years um we use cover crops we're actively cover cropping and building the soil organic matter building the soil health um we um think of the farm as a whole as a whole ecosystem and we're You know, I'm certainly thinking a lot about how, like we're right along the Mill River Mm -hmm. and I think about how, what we do impacts the Mill River. Um, And yeah, so I think really trying to think of the whole farm, the whole system. And, uh, you know, I think when you ask the question of like growing practices, it makes me think of certified organic and the question of being certified organic is um, it's a complicated one, but I think in the end, like it's a business decision that I, I think that's different farmers make different choices about in um, thus far, we've decided not to be certified organic primarily because we have a very direct relationship with our customers. Um, we, have newsletters every week during the season where we tell them how things are growing and send pictures and talk about the crops. And um, they don't like they're they are essentially our certifiers. You know, it's like we communicate to them regularly. Like you know how we grow. Um, that's not to say that we won't ever become certified. I think that there's reasons to do that, to do it, but uh, but so far our the way that our business has been so focused on um local production uh, it doesn't seem necessary right now
0: right because it's it's quite a process with the paperwork and
1: yeah i mean it's, inspections it's paperwork it, you know it's interesting it's like paperwork that we're mostly doing already you know it's like oh. I, I we keep good records because mm-hmm. that's what farmers try to do is they try to know what they're doing and where you know mm-hmm. so it's uh, and there's a little bit of cost associated with it, but there's, you know, I think there's trade-offs with the cost. It's, I think for, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, there's not like a, there's reasons that we could have done it or that there, you know, certainly farms are certified organic and not, I don't think one way or the other about those folks and there's other folks that aren't certified organic and i mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're doing what's best for their farm and, in their business and it's all good.
0: You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3 FM in Northampton. And we're talking with Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm in Florence, Massachusetts. Um, So Nate, I was curious, do you ever collect the seeds from your Mm. plants and reuse them or?
1: We don't. No. Yeah, we have not gotten into seed collection. It's a, I've, I've visited some seed collection farms, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, it's quite the undertaking, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you're, when you're growing such a wide variety and diversity of stuff that we do, it's, it, it creates another level of, um, of complication to try to save seeds. So if you grow like five different or whatever, we grow 12 different types of peppers on the farm, Mm -hmm. um, if you're trying to save seeds, you need to isolate each variety, you know, so it makes it really hard to, Mm -hmm. um, to save seeds. So I think, uh, yeah, there are some, some farms that do it. And I think they kind of uh, have kind of isolated fields where they might have, they might grow their one thing that they want to save the seed on. They might grow it off in a corner of the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But yeah, we haven't gotten into that.
0: Okay. And uh, are there things that you've, done or can do um to reduce your use of various resources like energy water
1: yeah so we just got solar panels finally up at the farm so that's um -hmm. that's really you know that was a great improvement for us as far as our energy bills and savings and Mm um um we are in the field especially i'm you know I was filling up our gas tanks this past week. And obviously gas is more expensive. Diesel is over $6 a gallon right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, which is 50% higher than it was a year ago. Um, So I'm certainly uh, thoughtful and not just for cost reasons, but for environmental reasons as well. So we do, um, we're, practicing, we're developing some systems on our farm to, to do reduced tillage. Um, and the idea behind reduced tillage is uh, it, does mul- it does many things, but it um, preserves soil organic matter, which is a fancy way of saying like sequestering carbon <laughs> uh, to make your soil more healthy. So it's a way to kind of grow things and then have the soil be healthier. Um, grow cover crops so your soil is healthier um, and then rather than um, rather than plow a whole field we do reduce tillage which for us that means it's called zone tillage where you till one zone that's about 12 inches wide and, and then that becomes your planting zone um, so that's something that we're experimenting with um, a bit uh, yeah, so we haven't gotten into the totally no-till setup yet. Uh, that hasn't, you know, that might be something we explore coming up. But we're certainly trying to find ways to uh, reduce our fuel use. So, so when you do zone till, you're also only doing one pass over a field mm-hmm. with a tractor, whereas usually you'd be doing, you know, five or six passes. So you're really cutting back on on fuel use. Um, mm-hmm. Um yeah.
0: That's exciting. Uh so what is the most challenging thing um that has happened during your operation on Crimson Clover Farm?
1: The most challenging thing. I mean, there's probably several. You know, I think the um talked a little bit about CSA and mm-hmm. um kind of the you know, the feast and feast and famine years and um I think I think two thousand uh, what year was it i think two thousand sixteen was a pretty tough year um we it was very dry uh c s a sale like we were focusing exclusively on on farm c s a at that time like we hadn't we're currently selling in the Boston area as well but at that time we were purely local here at the farm um and sales were lower. Uh, And we had just transitioned to, uh, you know, we had raised our wages for our staff, which was a decision we thought was the right decision to make. Um, And that kind of led, you know, sales being down, costs going up, Mm -hmm. um, and a very dry year made for a lot of stress. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, you know. Yeah, that was probably the hardest thing. I think when you uh, thinking life, life wise, and big picture for me and the whole farm. Um, so uh, the farm was started by uh, Jen Smith and I. Jen Smith was my uh, is my, my currently my friend, uh, longtime business partner and wife, um, and we split up uh, in two thousand eighteen. And I think that process and the kind of splitting out of life and a business and all that stuff, uh, I think was also a big challenge, you know, but I think um, in the end, uh, we, uh, I think, shared, you know, we created this farm. Uh, We had this vision of, of it being a community farm that was, gonna be here and gonna sustain, you know, gonna be here for the community and gonna be sustained by the community. Um, and I think we, you know, in the end, we were able to kind of work together to make that vision sustain. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Um, you're, uh, oh, so I was curious, you know, when I hear the term, no, you know, by local, And I think, I automatically think, you know, within a hundred miles. Yeah. So, and we've talked, when we've interviewed other farms, you know, we've talked a little bit about, actually quite a bit about, um, you know, how much, how much food is produced here in the valley and could it possibly feed everyone in the valley, which the answer is always no. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that a lot of food leaves the valley. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. um, you know why you choose to sell in Boston versus keeping the food here locally? Yeah.
1: Um, so I think as a um, as a CSA farm, I think there is a limit to the amount of people that are that are out there that are gonna. Um, I think I, don't, I forget where I saw this. This might have been. I think this was a different community. This might have been like. Portland, Oregon, or something like that, where, like, 3% of the community was in a CSA. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, there's a little bit of a cap there. You know, it's not, like, 90%. You know, it's not like everybody's going to, like, join a CSA. And right. there's certainly, like, a commitment involved. Uh, even, you know, a farm that where we're trying to provide as much flexibility and and whatnot. There's, I think, people, you know, it's a different style of purchasing. It involves upfront costs. um, And it um, you know, like we talked about, like you're not always going to get exactly what you want, which is what I think a lot of consumers want to, they like what they like, you know, and they want to eat what they like. Um, So um, so yeah, so we've expanded to in, you know, I think we've It was 2017, 16. Yeah, I think it was 2017. After that tough year, we kind of realized that um, in order to stay in business, we needed to sell more shares, and what that meant for us was kind of targeting uh, Boston. And an opportunity came our way to um, there's a a restaurant in in the Boston called Clover. You know, ironically, Mm -hmm. we're Crimson Clover Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this restaurant called Clover Food Lab, and they uh, they've kind of they've opened up their space, and they have like eight locations in the Boston area, and they've opened up all of their spaces to have CSA drops for different farms. Um, so every day of the week, there's a different farm that drops off CSA shares there, which is pretty remarkable and pretty cool. Um, and so we're able to drop off shares every Thursday during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there's several farmer friends from here in the Pioneer Valley that also drop off at clover mm-hmm. um, yeah so I think for uh the way I think about it is you know if we're, if we go out of business we wouldn't be doing the valley much good anyway mm-hmm. so we're um, so if selling in Boston means that we're able to like have a sustainable business um, then that's what we have to do mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that other farms out here deliver um their their cSAs also do you guys uh do you um do you send it together in your truck or their truck or somebody else's truck
1: um, no we use um I guess we we use the same service I think yeah, we don't use the same truck uh, there's a one of the wonderful things about the Pioneer Valley and really like this whole. Corridor between here and Vermont is there's a lot of resources to support farms. Um, and for us, a very big one is called Myers Produce Delivery, uh, started by Annie Meyer. Um, and uh, they're um, yeah, so they pick up the shares right from the farm, um, bring them to our locations, uh, and It's very easy for us Um, cost, you know, it costs some money as it should because they're delivering things. But um, but it makes life very easy uh, for us.
2: Do you know how long they've been around? Did they start recently or?
1: Myers? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. They've been around at least six years, I think.
2: Oh, okay. We heard the other day somebody uh, one of our guests and they started a service and it started in the middle of COVID as a necessity, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting that it yeah. drove logistics. So
0: we need to take a station break, but please stay with us because when we return we'll continue our discussion with Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm in Florence, Massachusetts. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, an independent, nonprofit, community-run station in Northampton, Massachusetts. This show uh, streams on valleyfreeradio.org. Where you can also find our program schedule and become involved with the station. You may know Dakin Humane Society is a great place to adopt a pet, but we offer so much more for animals and the people who love them. Our community clinic is New England's largest spay-neuter provider. Each week, we hold a vaccine and microchip clinic with affordable fees. We operate a pet food bank in conjunction with our community partners, so no member of your family goes hungry. Our website has information about these services and more. If you'd like to support animals in need, please visit dakenhumane.org. They depend on us, and we depend on you. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families' bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge at HilltownFamilies.com
2: vfr listeners this is bob balo i'm at the controls in the vfr studio every monday morning from 6 till 9 a.m i play music and i talk and i give the time and temperature also i drink a lot of coffee then i go home but i faithfully return every monday morning 6 till 9 a.m on valley free radio W-X-O-J-L-P Northampton. Thank
1: you, River Valley Co op, for your support of Valley Free Radio. River Valley Co op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods, fresh produce, meat and seafood, cheese and dairy, bread and baked goods, and an in house deli, along with a wide selection of bulk foods and a large selection of natural and organic grocery items. Owned by its customers, although everyone is welcome, co op ownership is not required. Open daily 8 to 10, 330 North King Street, Northampton. Phone 413 584 2665. River Valley Market op Thank you, River Valley Co-op, for your support of free speech in the Pioneer Valley.
0: My name is Jessica Sue Timberlake, co-ho- uh, co-host and show producer. Caroline Rutterman joined me in the studio. We're going to talk to you with Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm in Florence, Massachusetts. Uh, so, Nate, what uh, your website mentions um, you participate in farmers markets. Um, so, do you have mm-hmm. a sense of where you'll be setting up this spring, uh, summer, and fall?
1: I said, uh, you're, I, I need to update our website. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we did do farmer's markets. I think when we, we did it up and through COVID when COVID started, mm-hmm. uh, we made a choice to kind of focus on our, um, you know, we just wanted to not add stress to our staff members. So We didn't want to, um, Send them to farmers markets we've been focusing more on our farm store mm-hmm. here at the farm so um yeah, so we've sense. kind of redirected our sales and uh, energy towards the farm store here right at the farm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: what are the um hours of your farm store
1: uh, okay. uh, today's our first day of the season uh, so um we've been tuesday through Friday from 12 to seven, and on Saturday, we're open nine to two.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you say Saturday, nine to two? You broke up a little Saturday bit. Saturday, 9, nine to two. Thank you. So Nate, um, what, I was curious about the perennials
0: that you have uh, for purchase, and why do you, why those perennials?
1: Yeah, so I think we perennial-wise, we mostly grow or we have available um, herbs like sage and thyme, rosemary. Um, I guess rosemary is not technically a perennial in our area. um, uh, Chives. Uh, So mostly we're choosing um, culinary herbs uh, that are perennials. And I think we do that. Um, Yeah, I think they're easy to grow, uh, easy to have in folks gardens and they kind of highlight, they can go well with, you know, CSA members can come and you know, have an herb garden at their home that would help to highlight uh, some of the crops that they might, um, you know, get from their CSA share here. So, yeah, that's, that's the main thing. You know, I think just trying to, again, I think meet the interest in, of the folks who shop here uh, and the, the CSA members who come here, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: So what was, uh, Nate, what was your best day on the farm?
1: What's my best day on the farm? Yeah. Like a hypothetical best day?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your best day ever. (laughs) As
2: you imagine. My
1: my actual one day best day ever. (laughs) Um, Well, I would, you know, probably say when either of my kids was born, but uh, but if I had to think about um, my ideal day, um, yeah, I mean, I... Love moving around the farm, uh, connecting with um, my staff, talking with them, um, kind of helping, you know, a lot of what I do around the farm on a day-to-day basis is kind of help people solve problems or like I I help solve problems for people so that they can get their work done. Um, And uh, yeah, when those problems are like, very solvable and easy to do. And I can just kind of engage with my staff and help them kind of grow and develop. Um, Those are, those are my best days. And then I get to go on a tractor for a few hours and that's, (laughs) that's pretty fun too. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think uh, my, my work as a farm owner has kind of evolved over the years, you know, in the first year when I first started farming, I was, as a farmhand and harvested and weeded and did all the things, um, and uh, and it's kind of grown and evolved and changed over the years. Where now I kind of I'm um, not necessarily knee deep or hands deep in all, all the in all the harvesting or all the weeding or whatever. So I'm really moving around and kind of helping. Um, Helping address all the different needs of the farm, um, whether it's in the office or in the store or on a tractor, um, but still, you know, connecting with the crew is my um, my favorite thing. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, farm animals there? Even Not personal animals? No, no animals. Um, yeah.
1: And
0: do you currently have any um, upcoming events or speakers, topics, or?
1: Well, I mean, we just opened. So I think the, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, our, the, no, there's not, there's no fun farm events other than uh, I'm getting married this summer. So that's happening this summer. Okay, congratulations. Um, but uh, no public farm events. The, yeah, the big thing is the farm store's opening. And I guess the other big and exciting thing that I have not, it, It's public, but I haven't put it, I haven't mentioned it yet. So this is the first place I'm mentioning it, is that we were able to um, get a large grant from the food security and infrastructure grant um, that uh, we applied to this past fall. uh, And we're going to be renovating and expanding our our CSA barn. So we're going to, in 2023, uh, next year, we're going to be a year uh farm store that's gonna serve Florence, Hampton and and yeah. Um so I'm really excited about that, excited for you know all the opportunities that presents for um not just for the farm but for the community um and to have a year round um, you know farm like this in Florence is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, apologize. We're having a little uh, Zoom a little Zoom technical challenge here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I apologize to the
2: listeners if you can't Did you say you're understand sp- Nate right now. You're mm-hmm. expanding your barn mm-hmm. and you're going to have a whole bunch of events once you do that in okay.
1: 2023.
2: Yeah, so we're... Oh, okay. Oh, so- I
0: guess Nate, uh, we lost Nate. So uh, <laughs> while we're trying to get Nate back... Um, I guess they'll try the wonders to, of he'll, zoom and COVID. He'll try to well,
2: reconnect well, and if they haven't had events, you know the last two years, nobody's had really any events. Yeah, no, you know people just started be. to have them again and then they mm-hmm. disappeared, mm-hmm. so I imagine that um that they probably went through the same thing there, but that's great. they got one of those food security grants yeah that was I, yeah, I think he said expand, expand the barn is the that barn, what you yeah. heard <laughs> yeah I be- yeah, I
0: believe it's in the barn that they. I mean, actually, I've been over there um, a couple times. So a friend of mine was going away and she said, hey, I've got a CSA share at Crimson and Clover. Do you want to take it on for this week that I'm going to be gone? And so I ran over and. Oh, nice. And yeah, it was pretty cool. They, you know, they let people go out in the field and <clears throat> pick some of the their own, like maybe the berries or. Oh, so they have some of your pick-your own. Some of the items, and then I went into the barn, and they had it all very well organized. All well, the fruits and vegetables, and they had signage like you know you can pick one of this or you know this or this. And
2: so I just went through and sort of picked what I wanted. Um, nice. Uh, what kind of selection did they have, and what time of year was it? Would you say um, midsummer?
0: Yeah, this was probably midsummer. Uh yeah, I mean it was a it was a good selection. I mean, between greens and then um I think things like beets and Yeah. And you know. said
2: some fruits, some some berries or blueberries or yeah, maybe strawberries. Strawberries that people could
0: pick. Uh yeah. yeah, I should have asked him what uh,
2: specific fruit. Um uh, yeah, We can circle fruit. back if we if we can get our technical issues can. solved.
0: Yeah. So yeah, do you think Caroline he's trying to get back on or um, it's up to him to sign back up. Yeah, and, yep, he's so got okay. our link, so so we'll just have to entertain our our okay. faithful listeners in the meantime. Actually, Sue, so you so Sue received um, something in the mail—a flyer. Uh, if you want to do wanna sure, yes. That?
2: So it's really nice to get this because I remember when Grow Food Northampton was just a fundraising event to mm-hmm. buy starting, yeah. all that property mm-hmm. and um, yeah, not too long ago. I must have been maybe ten years. Ago. Well, he said he's been there twelve, right? So mm-hmm. probably fourteen or fifteen 12. years mm-hmm. ago. Yep. And uh, the the uh, the the whole town really, you know. Helped, helped create that. So I think, are we getting a clue here that we may have our guest mm-hmm. back? Oh, it looks like he might be back. Right? Back. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> just had to take a Sorry moment
0: to that. yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little break. Uh, so, uh, so Nate, do you offer, um, actually we were just talking about fruit that you might, you may or may not grow. Um, do you want to mention the, the specific fruit that you...
1: Oh, grow um, an offer to your members. Yeah, I mean, we uh, here at the farm we grow strawberry. We grow a lot of strawberries, mm-hmm. and uh, we've introduced raspberries as a pick-your-own crop mm-hmm. uh, in the last few years, uh, which is exciting. Um, and then in August we have you know a whole a whole mix of melons that we do.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, do you offer any internships or have any collaboration? projects um, that you'd like to mention
1: um, we um, we ha- we occasionally have interns from Smith College I'm forgetting what the mm-hmm. program is called at Smith where they Smith pays for folks to come and have experiences um, working at, at different enterprises um, so we're uh, looking forward to one of those uh, students coming here this summer uh, mm-hmm. and then um, we also you know we're not you know I what I say to current employee what I say to employees is that we're not a we're not like a learning farm but um, but my entire background in farming is um, has been before being here was at educational farms mm-hmm. um, so I really, try hard to invest in the crew that's here and kind of intern and train them and in as much, you know, as much of what I'm doing in the same way that Chip and Susan Plank in Virginia at the farm that I started out, um, as much as they shared and, uh, you know, uh, expanded my mind to like what the possibilities are of farming, I try to do that for folks.
0: Cool. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3 FM in Northampton. And we're talking with Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm in Florence, Massachusetts. Uh, so, Nate, uh, you know, I've often heard or actually I was curious what your goals were uh, when you first started the farm. Um, you know,
1: when we first were, you know, in 2009 I was working in a place called the farm school up in Athol I was the vegetable manager. And, um, Jen, Jen Smith and I were kind of looking around for like what our next opportunity was. Um, and, and we were kind of, we were open to what that would look like. We, we would, you know, we looked in Virginia, we were kind of looking down in Charlottesville, moved looked in North Carolina, um, visited friends up in Bronkton Vermont. Um, and I think in the end, we kind of decided that the Pioneer Valley, uh, you know, offered us the best combination of opportunity and um, community, farming community um, that, you know, was better than any, any other of the opportunities we were looking at. Um, and we really uh, in all of the everything we were trying to do is kind of geared towards creating uh, what we call a community farm, uh, the community-based farm, where it's, where um, where it really is like a res- a reciprocal relationship where um, the community uh, values the farm and the farm in turn serves the community, um, and. Uh, So, yeah, so we've been, from the very beginning, our goal was always to have this kind of unique um, uh, place where folks, like, come and, you know, maybe, you know, come and walk their dogs, come and volunteer to work the land where the farm, you know, we donate produce. Uh, Working with nonprofits like Grow Food, Northampton to... To offer low income shares, um, so really like integrating ourselves in our whole community, not just the people that can afford full price. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I think that what it is now is essentially what the vision has always been. You know, I think we've we've had to evolve here and there to kind of um, you know with sales towards Boston. That is kind of something we didn't necessarily envision when we started, Mm -hmm. but was kind of out of necessity. But then it's also kind of grown. I think that experience has kind of grown our my sense of of what our of what the farm's community is. You know, I think uh, really taking it's not just like a you know a money grab from Boston. It's really like we're investing in you know in these new relationships with these new people that have some of whom have been with us now for five years in Boston mm-hmm. it's really a um uh yeah so I think it's it's always been about community and uh and that continues
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> uh so Nate I've often heard that um you know it can be challenging to get People to try new vegetables because uh, mm-hmm. they don't know how to cook them. Have you yeah. experienced that with CSA members? And might you ever offer recipes for them to sort of coach yeah, them to try received... these new vegetables?
1: Try to say that again.
0: Oh, to, to coach these folks along to yeah, try yeah. the new veggies. Um,
1: yeah. So we have weekly newsletters in our uh, for our share members, and those you know always include three three or four recipes Um, and I usually target the things that I put recipes in for are usually those things that folks don't know as much about like Mm -hmm. everybody knows what to do with a tomato Mm -hmm. Um, but folks might not know what to do with radicchio or Mm -hmm. um, or endive or or even like scallions or leeks you know Uh, so really uh, try to share new ideas with folks so they can try new things um yeah so i i do as much as i try to encourage folks to try new things i there there is the base reality that folks don't they're not necessarily drawn to what they don't they're not familiar with mm-hmm. um which is why we've kind of we've always had flexibility in our share offering so folks don't have to take things they don't want to take um which has the added benefit of not having to grow as many things that people don't want to eat. So we don't have to grow enough kohlrabi for 600 people to have kohlrabi. We can grow enough kohlrabi for the, for the 10 people that like kohlrabi, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't have to grow. Yeah. So we can kind of over the years, we've been able to kind of hone our crop plan so that we're um, so that we're meeting the, the needs of our
2: community.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So Nate, on your website, you stress that you're always looking uh, for input from the community as far as comments and suggestions that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make the farm serve the community better. So I was curious what positives have come out of uh, fielding those comments.
1: Yeah, that's a good, um, I think, uh, The first, first one that comes to mind is one that happened after our first year. So our first year um, was 2011. We, uh, you know, we were racing to get started and um, we had a full season. We did 20 weeks. We, you know, signed our lease in, in uh, March 1st. We got our first farm loan, uh, March second probably, and then we got, you know, all the equipment delivered, and we broke ground April first. Um, so it all kind of through the magic of a lot of work from a lot of people, it was able to kind of come to fruition. Um, uh, and um, we raced to get started, and you know, we were we were doing things how we had done them in the past, and we you know we were giving out uh kale and we were we were bunching the kale and uh um and folks who were csa members that year were kind of they're savvy csa members from other farms in the valley and they they they're like what are you doing (laughs) what you know what's this bunched kale you know and uh and they really want to they kind of uh yeah, so what their their eventual, you know, request uh, was to have unlimited kale, to have like, to be able to have as much kale as they possibly wanted. And at the time, it was one of those things, like thinking about it, it's like, well, why would, you know, it's like kale's not, kale doesn't grow. Like, it's not just like, it's not like a freebie. You can't like go to the grocery store and get like as much kale as you want, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, what we learned And I think after kind of thinking on it for a while, what we kind of came to realize is that kale, kale for folks really symbolized, like unlimited kale for them felt like safety, felt like this is like abundance and this, you know, and this is, uh, you know, how they could feel the most taken care of is for us of all the things that they gave feedback on number one was to have unlimited kale hmm. and you know what, like kale is not that hard to grow. So right. we, we just more grow a lot everything. of it and we grow a lot of it, harvest a lot of it hmm. and, uh, uh, and it, and people love it. So that's, you know, it, that's how it works out. So I think the um, kind of responding to feedback is central to what we do. And that's that, that little anecdote is always, um, what comes to mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Nate, we have about a minute left. Is the, are there any last uh, tidbits you want to throw out? Your website address or.
1: Yeah, you can um, sign up for shares. You can mm-hmm. visit and learn more about the farm. You can visit uh, crimsonandcloverfarm.com. Um, you can also come by the farm store. Uh, we're open Tuesday through Fridays, 12 to 7, uh, and Saturday, 9 to 2. Um, and we're open to the public.
0: Great. We'd like to thank our guest, Nate Fregard, owner of Crimson and Clover Farm here in Florence, Massachusetts. You may find additional uh, information about Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio's website, valleyfreeradio.org. In addition, previous Farm to Fork show podcasts may be heard on farmtofork.pinecast, dot P-I-N-E-C-A-S-T dot C-O, so not C-O-M, but C-O. Our theme song, Sometimes I Wonder Where My Food Comes From, was written by Scraggly Dan and the Stragglers for this Farm to Fork radio program and performed by artists.